Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Folks, we've come to the end. This is the last episode of Black Ballad Presents The Survival Guide, the parenting podcast that looks at motherhood through the lens of black women in Britain and is ultimately here to help us survive and thrive through this wild, wild ride of parenting. Now for the final instalment, you know we had to give you something just a little bit special. So today's episode is a candid conversation between me, Jen Della Benson, Head of Editorial at Black Ballad, and Toby Oradain, CEO and co-founder of Black Ballad, aka my boss. We cover a lot of ground in our conversation. We discuss women's health, endometriosis, giving birth during the peak of the first COVID lockdown, being a working mum, cultural expectations, representation and so much more. And you will hear our kids protesting in the background, but you should know the drill by now listeners. Okay, let's dive straight in. My name is Toby Oridain. I am the founder of Black Ballad, a publication for by Black women in Britain and around the world. That's what I, I am and who I am. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so my first question is, when you were younger, what yeah. kind of idea of motherhood did you have? Like, did you have a plan set out? Did you have any thoughts at all? Because some girls might not have been thinking about it. Oh, when I was younger, I literally thought that motherhood was about the mum being at home and like making food and not having a job because my mum didn't work for the first kind of couple of years of my life. I think she got a job like when I was like maybe like around seven or six. So I was so used to not seeing her work. So I literally just thought that like, yeah, Dad's went out to work and mum's cooked and cleaned because that was literally like how my my family was. That was the setup at home. And then when I got like a little bit older, maybe like I'd say about 10, I wanted to have a family. I knew that like being a mum was something that I wanted to do. Like I wanted to look after somebody. I wanted to look after, you know, a real life doll you know what I mean and I thought yeah. that, oh everyone this is so embarrassing I thought that everyone had babies at 21 I was like yes I think my cousin <laughs> had her baby at 21 I was like everyone has a baby at 21 right that was how I thought of motherhood that like mums cooked and cleaned and stayed home and then when my mum got a job I just thought that everyone had babies at 21 yeah it was like what I thought so when you hit 21 how did you feel were you like by then you were over it or you were like oh I'm not on track to do what when I, I was to do? Tw- when, when I was 21 I to be honest when I was 21 I was going traveling with like two of my best friends around America and I was like I don't want to be with anybody like I just want to you know I want to get my my two one and I want to travel and I want to do my internship and at 21 I met my husband and he came and messed up all the plans and like we were dating for like three months and then I went traveling for a month and then I was kind of like I think like this is the person I'm gonna like spend my life with and that wasn't the plan at 21 and I totally didn't want to think about kids and relationships and then I here I was at 21 
thinking I was going to settle down with someone. So, yeah, it was a bit of a weird one. A bit inconvenient. Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys kind of talk about having kids from the start or was it like a bit too intense? Like what was like, did you kind of plan or was it more like, let's see how things go? Do you know what? Like, oh, this is getting personal. The first conversation <laughs> yeah. I had with my husband was like six hours on the phone and we spoke about everything and we spoke about our dreams. We both wanted kids. We both discussed really, <laughs> I think we both discussed names for boys. That's very, very strange because we have a little girl. And funny enough, we both liked the same name for a boy, which is very, very weird. Imagine like meeting someone, you haven't even met them, like you've spoken over Facebook and then you're talking about kids in your first conversation. It was a really, it was a really weird one. So yeah, we both knew we wanted kids and like we have very different like sort of like family backgrounds, like he's the eldest of four. I've got like three siblings, but like we've never all grown up together. So like I've grown up as an only child. But we both kind of had the same dreams and ambitions when it came to kids. And we both knew we wanted them. We just knew that we wanted them further down the line. By the time I was 21, I said I didn't want a kid in my 20s. I wanted a kid when I was 30. Be careful what you say, because I had <laughs> I had my baby at 30. So I, I was pushing the goalpost back when it came to kids, like, constantly. Did you feel any pressure around when you were going to have kids from, like, family or friends? Or was it very much, like... I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not that bothered. You know what? I I um, had an operation for endometriosis. And like early mm. on in my marriage, I had like a lot of health issues, like a lot, like in terms of like I was on the floor with periods, like my husband had to carry me to like have a bath. I was like in an immense amount of pain. And like, I remember coming to my doctor and I, he was like, if I have another operation, you're limiting your chance of kids. I was told that it was going to be really hard to have kids. So in the back of my mind, I do this thing like when I think something's not going to happen for me, I like feel like it's not going to happen for me. Mm. So although we wanted kids, it kind of felt like it wasn't going to happen for me because like my doctor was like, you know, like you're in a lot of pain. Like there's not really operating is going to make you like slim down your chance of having kids. But then your chances of having kids are low because of endometriosis, which is false information, by the way. So I was shocked last August when I had a little surprise in my stomach because I was just like, yeah, it's like not going to be straightforward. Yeah, mm. like, let's just enjoy, like, yeah, let's just have hot girl summer out here. Do you know what I mean? And, like, <laughs> and then like, come August, I was like, oh, whoa. So yeah, that was, that was it. Like we, we wanted it, but we didn't think, I didn't think it was going to happen as quickly as it did because doctors aren't the best at, telling the truth it seems so yeah that's kind of that yeah so let's talk about that in terms of obviously we've covered a lot about health kind of stuff on black ballads and especially to do with motherhood and health outcomes but also just in general like black women's health when it comes to doctors is a bit touch and go it feels like it depends on the doctor that you get whether they kind of know what they're talking about or that's not to disrespect doctors as a profession but it seems that doctors are not necessarily maybe educated in the way that they need to be about black women's health issues. Like that whole process where your doctor's essentially saying like, it might not happen for you. How did you feel with your healthcare and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, like my healthcare around my endometriosis has been pretty dire. I remember it took me, I think it took me like three and a half years to get a hospital appointment because like my doctors wow. kept giving me pills they kept saying that am I sure like am I not making it up my periods I'd be vomiting all the time I'd mm. be like really really ill I remember once I was so ill that I had to chuck my house keys out to a friend for her to come into the house and help me like literally get off the floor like I was like that ill with periods and then I finally got a hospital appointment and my doctor was like yeah there's nothing wrong you're just kind of being a hypochondriac don't like make this stuff like you're wasting my time and I remember I was gonna I was about to leave the hospital appointment and my mum came my mum came in and I think this is really worth saying so basically the woman that's brought me up my who's my mum is white and she came late to the appointment and she came in and she said no she was like she has been suffering like we are not leaving until you like literally like take her seriously and he took her seriously oh my gosh it just shows you and then um, I remember he got a second opinion he brought someone else in another doctor another doctor was like 
okay, I think she should have an operation. And I remember him being like, oh, she's going to waste her time. Like, there's nothing there. I had my operation for endometriosis and they found, they literally found it in my, like, in, like, the lining of, like, my room and stuff like that. They literally came out and mm. showed me, like, like the scans, like, of where mm. it was. And I felt really vindicated because the fact was, like, I was like, oh, my God, like, for the last, like, five years, like, you know, you know two years before I actually started like seeing somebody about it and three years I was in the kind of system like trying to get an appointment to the hospital like I was like I'm, I'm not crazy like it, mm. it, it, it's real I felt vindicated that I, I, I was right but at the same time it was really disheartening because I knew that I never would have got that operation if my mum was black like I got that mm. operation I got taken seriously because my mum happens to be white every time I think about it it's kind of like I will never be able to advocate for my daughter the way my mum can advocate for me mm. and like not even to like disrespect my mum but my mum's working class do you know what I mean like mm. she it's literally just her race it's, it's not because she's like middle class and like has like mm. a, a super posh accent do you know she, she's yeah. a working class white woman who literally was just able to kind of throw her toys out the pram and get her way and if I did that for my daughter I would be called like you know the angry black woman or like the mum of the attitude I think that's so scary about the health system when I think about it like that and to think kind of that I wouldn't maybe be able to have kids because no one was like taking me seriously or people Mm. kind of even afterwards I was still getting a bit of pain people were like dismissing the fact that I was in so much pain I don't like the health system like I avoid it like the plague I only go if I really have to and I think there's a lot of work to be done around like women's reproductive health people don't care about women's health and I and I will stand on the rooftops and shout about that the healthcare system does not care about women's health in the way that it should and I really stand by that yeah that's really illuminating the fact that it was essentially just the fact that you happen to have a white mum that enabled you to get an operation like that is is actually kind of insane to think about that but also so obviously for the HuffPost takeover you wrote about your experience kind of like giving birth and how it wasn't what you wanted yeah it wasn't how you imagined it it wasn't what you wanted at all especially given that it was kind of like COVID so for people who haven't read if you can just give us a quick summary as much detail as you want to be honest so I gave birth in the height of COVID. I gave birth in the first week of April and I had a, a long labour. I was in labour for nearly 60 hours from start to finish. So from the jump, it wasn't what I wanted because I was on hands and knees praying. You know, I had the scripture that like Hebrew women, I was going to have a quick delivery. So I don't even know where my prayers were because I'd never in my life thought that I was going to have a 60 hour labour I was like exercising through my like pregnancy my husband was like you'll be your, your labour will be quick man like you know on my due mm. date we went for like a four hour walk and then I was in labour for 60 hours and I felt really alone in my like my labour because I went in with my husband and he stayed with me for the first two hours and then they said like you know because I'm going down to like triage that he couldn't like come in with me or stay with me and then you know I yeah was kind of having contractions and then I finally got moved back up to Labourwood like about 24 hours later my husband was allowed to be with me and my baby's heartbeat was kind of slowly progressing into into distress um Mm. I was getting really tired I wasn't getting past four centimeters and then they was like you know I went into hospital on Tuesday and gave birth on Thursday evening and I think on Thursday afternoon they was like you're gonna need a c-section and they was like your husband's not gonna be able to come in with you and I cried like I I cried I I, I, I was bawling I was like I can't do this by myself like I can't I mean I'm not really doing anything do you know what I mean I'm laying on the table getting mm-hmm. but one I, I I never thought I'd be having a c-section two mm-hmm. I think the thought of just doing it so alone was just like not what I imagined and you know I was being wheeled in the corridor and I remember because because when you're in labour for so long your temperature rises and that's just a natural Mm. sort of side effect of being in labour for so long but it's also a symptom of Covid so like they was like you're a Covid suspect it's highly unlikely you've got Covid but you are a Covid suspect. And I remember waiting in the corridor, being uh, waiting to go into theatre and the anesthesiologist was like why is this COVID suspect here? Like, get her out, move her. And I remember another nurse being, a midwife being like, you know, this woman is all alone. She has no partner with her. We need to give her some compassion and, you know, 
be professional. And I was really scared because I was kind of thinking, my baby's heartbeat's in distress. This lady's holding everything up because she's having a tantrum. Like, this is not how it should be. Mm. And I think one thing, you know, me and my husband have spoken a little bit about, like, my labour experience. And we've said, like, the politics of what goes on when someone's giving birth is it's just not what anyone should see you know, the woman that's pregnant or person that's pregnant and like their partner, they should not be seeing the politics that goes on within like a, a you know, a, a labor unit. Mm. Um, and like before I went into labor, I was just looking at this woman that was screaming, uh, screaming about the fact that I was like a problem. And the fact that she was going to stick a needle in my back was not, you know, filling me with confidence. Yeah. So then I eventually got wheeled into theatre. I was like on a table with like a mask like over my face and like the mask was so tight like I felt like I couldn't even breathe. And my baby was born and she just she didn't cry. Um she didn't cry when she was born and I could hear people like kind of kind of talking and shouting actually that she wasn't crying. And I remember just being on the on the table and just being I don't know why I get so emotional about it, but I was just I, I just remember praying about it and then I remember asking someone how's my baby and no one was answering me and I felt really distressed and then finally mm. someone brought her over and they showed me her and then they were just like yeah she's going to like neonatal and I didn't see her for like 24 hours um mm. so it wasn't the experience that I wanted I remember coming home and I was just like I'd never do I'd never do it again like I'd never do it again She's worth mm. it, but it was just so far removed from what, like, I wanted. So, yeah, it wasn't the best experience. Only I can get emotional on a part of my own podcast. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. because yeah. I rem- So, I think there's definitely something to be said about those scriptures that everyone gives, like, Honestly. pregnant women. About the Hebrew women, da, 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 all that kind of thing. I remember someone gave me this book about, like, spiritual childbirth. Yeah. how you know how you shouldn't be in pain and all this kind of stuff and I read it and I was like yeah yeah my, my labor's gonna be great I know my first labor was absolutely not that at all and if I'm honest I think that it contributed to my postnatal depression because I had this feeling like oh I failed my body failed yeah. me I was supposed to do this thing it was supposed to be so easy and swift and smooth but no I had to go into theatre and da 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 and I didn't give birth properly the way that women should give like it really like messed with my psychology for like a while and I felt like I don't know there's just so much to be said about the kind of narratives around how we give birth and the expectations and just the fact that you know what you could do everything right and your birth doesn't go the way that you want it to go and it, that is life it, it's so true and you know it's a very it's a very kind of cultural thing and, and then, you know I can only speak from like a Nigerian Christian perspective that everyone's like placing scripture on you laying hands on you and like your person go so far like smoothly and I think the only person that said to me there's no shame in having an epidural or a c-section was an Asian woman who I met at a party of a friend. So she was a friend of a friend and she was a Christian. Mm. And she was the only person I think about it that said to me, there's no shame in having a epidural or a C-section. She's like, I had epidural with all three of my kids. I think she had a C-section with one. And she said, don't let no one shame you into that. And I thought, it's, and that's actually, that's actually true. That it's, there's, a, there's a big cultural kind of stigma about giving birth naturally I think in our community Mm. that we don't talk about and even like the language of like you know I remember like my I was at my my husband's 30th and his cousin came and said are you planning to give birth naturally and I was kind of like well what do you mean like isn't it all natural and he's like you know naturally or c-section and I was like wow like even kind of the language that we use Mm. can kind of make you feel like you failed and like I was exactly the same like when I when I think about it in my mind when I spoke briefly about it to my husband was like I feel like I failed, like because I didn't, I didn't push her out. I wasn't able to get past four centimeters, and I, and I think that is something that we need to talk about in our communities about the language of how we talk about, you know, women that give birth, and like, you know, scriptures should be there to comfort, and I think we need to kind of stop kind of just using scripture just to kind of be like you're going to have the perfect birth. It should be what scriptures are you using to kind of follow up after your birth and to kind of get you mm. through the hard times. And I don't think that was a conversation that I really had. It was just, I'm sending you the Hebrew women's scripture. There's a book about giving birth, about, you know, being a Christian or, or whatever. And it, it, to be honest, it was a little unhelpful if I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's very unhelpful because it doesn't take into account the fact that 
different women have different births at different points in their lives mm. and like mm. some like I have friends who giving birth and pregnancy is just such a breeze for them like one of them said that she's like mm. no no pain does it and it's like okay yeah. that's great that works for that works for some people it doesn't work for me it didn't work for me I needed pain relief and there's not and it's like literally like when you actually think about childbirth as a process it's even if you're birth goes the smoothest it's still mm. a life or death situation to go on like like one wrong move and tragedy could strike even if everything was smooth so I definitely think we just need to take all of that pressure off of like are women healthy are women safe are they cared for is their mental health in a great place are they getting the medical care that they need do they have someone to advocate for them like those are the only things that essentially matter because people do want to know all the details like oh so are you going to have painkillers are you going to do this are you going to breastfeed immediately yeah. after like all of this kind of like really pressurizing oh, stuff the breastfeeding conversation jesus that that deserves a podcast of its own because <laughs> the pressure that you get to breastfeed and i you know it took me a few weeks to kind of be able to breastfeed my baby but like the calls I had from you know from Nigeria from here like my breastfeeding like this and ever mm. you know I had someone say just stick it in her mouth and she'll take it and I was like that's not quite it's, how it works that's not how it works it, it, the pressure oh my god mm. it, it, it's, it's ridiculous it, it, there's so much pressure around I think having a baby and doing it the right way that it can kind of be off-putting to do it again if I'm honest oh yeah definitely definitely I mean that's kind of like how I feel and people are like oh so when's the third one coming I'm like it's not coming like I'm done and they're like oh no and it's like what like it's yeah you like don't make it sound great I mean <laughs> having a third baby like do you get what I mean like everyone's who's I saw who called it womb watching someone called it womb watching like it's not great it's not encouraging like just let people do what they need to do so how have you found your foot? How long has it been now? What, four, five, four, and, five four and a half months? Nearly five months, you need five months. Yeah, how have you found this, like, I guess they call it like the fourth trimester, like that period immediately after? I think one thing I've had to learn, I think my daughter's forced me to really understand who I am as a person. And that's been a really interesting experience. I have to say that I've really loved being I'm gonna say I love being her mum, not just being a mum, but I love being her mum. I always I always say like she's like the biggest distraction, but the biggest motivation. You know, you know better than anyone, Jen. Like I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna work. I'm gonna like have time <laughs> off. I'm really gonna just like chill at home. And like in my head, I thought I was gonna be doing like the you know I love to cook I thought I'll be cooking I thought you know I'd be like super organized and cleaning I was lying to myself I hate cleaning my husband does the cleaning I don't even know why I had it in my head that I was gonna be doing it all like like perfect wife of mum shit like I was like had it all planned out and then she came and I was just like I love her to bits and she's amazing and when she's awake she has all my attention but when she's asleep I just like to work like I I like being a working mum I like my job and I like I like I like having my child on my chest sleeping and me typing on a laptop there's no better feeling for me in the world like having the best of both worlds so Mm. I've had to really learn in the fourth trimester who I am and not kind of I guess being the mum that I thought I should be I've also had to learn about the things that are good for like my sort of soul and spirit um an example is um we started watching Mad Men I think I said you know after you Mm. know I gave birth you know, it was something on Netflix. It was like, yeah, let's watch Mad Men. And I realised it's a very depressing show. And I, I was like, it was like, I can only describe like watching it felt like someone was pushing down in my mind, and I was feeling mm. really sad when watching it. And like even certain albums, like I love Neo, but her album was very emotional. So I had mm. to stop listening to that album. I had to stop. And please, like, if Neo's like listening to this, like, I love you to bits, but like, I'm not trying to like slate you and all that. But like, I just like, I'm just so invested in her album. And I was just kind of like, yeah, I can't listen to that album for a few weeks and I can't watch Mad Men for a few weeks. So like, I've been really watching a lot of like Modern Family because like, it's super just like chilled out and like upbeat. I watched like a lot of like romantic comedies and like, I was just very careful about watching my mental health and what I was consuming. So Mm. I didn't, so I gave my best chance, gave myself the best chance of not having postnatal depression. And of course it's more than entertainment. But what I mm. could do, I did. And working actually made me feel 
like good about myself I remember I was like you know I'm gonna try and have a like you know a week where I don't do anything and I kind of felt really useless and like I was kind of feeling like who am I like I'm I'm my baby's mum but then who am I without my work and I think it made me realize how big a part of my work makes up my identity and that's why I did choose to kind of work and I you know we had to my husband and I had to have a conversation because he kind of sat down was like why are you working like you should be resting at a c-section this that and the other and I said you know what being at home being locked up in COVID I can't see friends this is giving me some self-esteem this is this is making me happy and he totally got it after I explained like why I was working so I've loved the fourth trimester because I've been able to do it in, on my own terms I haven't had to I guess that's the thing with COVID because we were so restricted like nobody saw or held my held our baby for the first three months of her life because nobody could kind of inflict on how I should be as a mum mm. I think that that made it a really enjoyable fourth trimester because I know like you know once my husband had that conversation about why I'm working and like you know I kind of kind of shifted what I was watching and, and taking in I, I I've enjoyed it I've loved it I, I, I love being with her I love being around her I love the routine that we're you know it's not a, a perfect routine and we don't get it right every day but kind of the routine of being with her in the morning working a bit in the day going for a walk I mean I work when she's sleeping and like what I watch it, it's made it like the best experience of my life one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Mm. Oh, that's nice. That's really nice Thanks. to hear. And you're like the probably one of the only people that I've ever heard say that they can't wait to get back to work, <laughs> like all time <laughs> to be like a working mum. But I guess you're explained like obviously work is really and you get to do something that you love. So it's not like you're going to work for like pagans or whatever. <laughs> you know, I work for myself. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, yeah. Yeah, it helps. So, you know, I, I've created the job that I love. And obviously, you know, my work, our work is about helping black women become the best versions of themselves. So I know that my work is even tied to her self-esteem. Do you know what I mean? My, my, my husband even said something today and he was like, I really hope this child loves herself as a black woman because the work that we put into other black women, he was like, God, please let us make sure we're doing it for her. So yeah. it's kind of tied to, you know, like her and like, so I, I do I do love work, but you know, the separation anxiety because my mum will be looking after her in the afternoons when I go back to work, you know, in later on in the year. And I'm I'm really I'm really worried and conscious about being separated from her. Like my mum and I are trialing it now. So I do my two days and like, you know, working and my mum takes her from one to seven. And when she's not around, I'm like to my husband, I miss her. Do you miss her? I miss her. Do you miss her? <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, but I've got to do work. And I'm like, I miss her so much. Uh, I can tell her. Like, I wonder what she's doing. I my mum. And then I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? And I'm like, let me see her. So I am, I'm, I, that separation anxiety I has is already going on. Like, I'm like, she's my best friend. Like, she really is. And like, she's like a oh. four-month-old baby. And like, I'm like, <laughs> we're best friends. So I'm, I'm, I'm eager to get back to work, but I don't want to be separated from her. And you can't, and the truth is, 
you just can't do it all when you, you know your baby's around you kind of have to make a choice mm. and decision and like not only do I love my work the truth of the matter is I've got bills to pay and if I don't do my work I can't pay my bills so it is what it is in that way I guess yeah no definitely I think you need time away from your kids to miss them you need the opportunity to miss your kids to appreciate them more otherwise anyway I've got two very high energy children so I definitely and my baby's not on the move yet I think it'll be different when she's crawling and walking and all of that she right now and trying to type on your laptop (laughs) although she does she does bang the, the laptop and like yeah she's slowly ruining my husband's apple watch so like she's on her way there oh no so when you do go back to work full-time how are you guys going to manage child care and what kind of decisions and considerations did you have when it came to choosing where your daughter will go who she'll be spending her time with Okay, so when we found out I was pregnant, we actually spoke quite a bit about childcare. And I know that my husband said that he wanted her, he wanted our daughter to go to nursery when she was a little bit older. So like, like 18 months too, just so she can start kind of communicating and we can kind of know that she's happy and like healthy and safe in an environment that we choose to put her. And you know, my mum is kind of like getting older and like works part time and she was very vocal and being like, I'm happy to do childcare for you guys. Like also, you know, we're a young couple that has like has a business together. So like financially it was a godsend when my mum offered that childcare. And I think, you know, we kind of thought, oh, should we take her up on it or not? And then my cousin said something that really, really made my mind up for me. She said that when she went to visit nurseries, she saw a, a nursery teacher wipe a table with a cloth and then wipe a child's face. And she just said, she just said, that's what they do. She was like, they won't tell you, but that's what they do. And I remember being like, yeah, no, I don't think that's what I want. And then my cousin was like, listen, let your child be at home with mum and have one-to-one and you guys. And do that and let your child see you working. She said, honestly, it will be an education that people won't be able to buy. Like she was like, tap into it. And my cousin really encouraged that. So then we said, you know what, that's actually true. And then when my mum said that she can help out part time, it kind of felt like the best of both worlds. So I think it's really important for my, my, my daughter to see me as a woman working and like, you know, us kind of making it work. And then as it, so then like, my mum's going to have my baby from one till seven. And in the mornings, my husband and I are going to alternate each day. So like Monday, I'll be responsible for her. Then Tuesday, he'll do that. And then we'll keep going back and forth. And then on Friday, we're alternate days who's taking care of her. And I think that's because it allows us both to have time with her. It allows us both to kind of parent her independently in the way that we want to. Because, you know, parenting... Good parenting is kind of two individual styles styles coming together to be one. And I think that will give space for that to happen and thrive. And also, uh, I, I, I think like the bar is low for men. Like it's low. <laughs> like so many people are so surprised that my husband's going to be like very responsible. Like my husband does most of the nappies. Like let's be, I'm not going to lie to anyone sit and be like, I don't really do the nappies because I'm doing the feeding. So we've got to compromise. The bar is low. So like my husband being hands on is just the way it should be in my mind. Like, you know, I didn't make I didn't make my baby by myself. You know, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not actually possible. So, you know, and also I think if I'm completely honest, my, my husband's the eldest of four and there's quite large age gaps. So like his youngest sister is 13 years younger than him so he's had a lot of experience in terms of child rearing you know he comes from a Nigerian family so you know he was like small daddy at home if that makes sense you know like yeah he's borderline big brother but he is kind of probably can be a parental figure when he needs to be in in a way he's probably more naturally more maternal than I was from the jump so I had to kind of learn it a little bit after him so that's kind of it really like in terms of I'm kind of a bit nervous how nurseries treat kids. And I'm also nervous how nurseries treat black kids, if I'm completely honest. I've heard some horror stories. Mm. So I want my child to be able to communicate with me because if she says something's wrong, yes, if my child says something wrong at two, I'm holding you to account. I am that. (laughs) Like, I'm not here for it. Like, so yeah, we want our child to kind of able to 
you know, judge that if she's come home from nursery a little bit, not herself, we can ask those questions and try and tease it out of her. I think that's why, like, we want want to wait till she goes to nursery and um, between like 18 months and two part time and then having my mum fill in the gaps that we need. So it, and we've been trialing it because I'm working part time at the moment and it's worked quite well. So, yeah. A part of our survey, we, we spoke to women like who were not mothers yet, as well as women who were. And some yeah. women who were not mothers spoke about the fact that they didn't really want to have children. And yeah. the reason why they gave was the state of the world and like, yeah, like just being black in the Western world and kind of the anxieties and the concerns that they have about that. And then like bringing a child into that. What keeps you hopeful for your daughter's future? You might be hearing my daughter actually. She's screaming in the other room. I'm not going to apologise <laughs> for that because it's a mum podcast. It's real life, guys. <laughs> what keeps me hopeful? I'm going to be 100%. Like, Black ballads, like, the work I do, like, I know that I'm doing, like, I know that I'm, I'm not waiting on anyone else to solve a problem. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I know that I'm doing work to better what life can be for black women in my own way and I and I hold my hands up and be like black ballad is a very small thing in the grand scheme of the world it's like a tiny tiny drop in the ocean but I'm doing Mm. what I can and that gives me hope and I think the great thing about black ballad is that I get to meet amazing other black women I get to work with amazing black women like you and I get to see how you're trying to make change in your own way and I think like if my daughter can grow up around people who have become friends as well as colleagues and like feel kind of I guess validated because she's mm. seeing other not just other black women but other even black men do you know what I mean as well mm. thriving and not surviving then I'm fine I think if I'm honest if I did I think the also flip side is when you do something like that but you also see the other side of how bad it can be you're not looking for the problem, but you're investigating the problem. So I just choose to keep hold of the positives of the work that I do and bring that home. I think as well, like I've got a great family unit that really respect how we're trying to bring up our child and trying to kind of keep her engaged with her culture. But it's hard. And I think the reality is bringing up a black child is just very different to bringing up a white child. You know, she's only four months, but, you know, we we are planning to move and we're kind of thinking about, oh, what areas of schools and stuff like that. And a Mm. consideration, you know, I always say privilege is thinking society will work for you in the way that it should. That's privilege. Mm. And when you're black, you don't have that privilege. You kind of have to think about how society won't work for you. So, like, you know, thinking about going to a school and wondering, oh, will she be allowed to wear her hair in a certain way? Like, Mm. stuff like that really makes me anxious so every time I've seen like a like a nursery that's got like a black head teacher I make a note of it in my area because I'm like that could be a potential school for her if you know that head teacher's still still around so it's kind of I guess the work that I do the, the people that I've met the women the black women that I've met on this journey of doing black ballad and honest conversations with family and friends who can help me bring up my child in the way that I want and and people are very respectful for the fact of the things that I want my child to have like I've been very strict on her having certain toys that reflect her um Mm. and having certain books that reflect her I had to tell someone that she can't have a certain toy because it didn't look like her and (laughs) that was just it you know what I mean so yeah the work I do having honest conversations with my family and friends and just surrounding myself I guess with black women who I feel are doing their part to make sure our black children have the best shot at life that they can and when I say black children I don't just mean black girls I mean black girls and boys because it's so important that both as I say don't survive but thrive in a system that doesn't want them to thrive yeah no absolutely I think it's so interesting when it comes to like making these decisions for your kids and you start realizing well for me anyway like so much of it is dictated by my own experiences so even we're having this conversation about moving at the moment and I want to stay in London because I grew up being the only black girl in class and Mm. like I don't want that for my kids but then obviously my husband grew up in in inner city London and he knows what it's like being a black boy in London so he Mm -hmm. doesn't want that for his kids and it's like this weird like 
tightrope that you're trying to walk like how do you create a future for your child that you don't that you can only go based off of what you've experienced but you're trying to create this future that you can't see yet but somehow you're trying to make it happen yeah it is it's it's you know we did an event in Birmingham a few years ago and I remember some black women came to the event and one of them said I've never been around so many black women and I'm shocked I was like oh my god like from school like I went to a school where it was majority black kids this people always find this really strange so the majority of my teachers were black women like my headmistress was a black woman my deputy head was a black woman my head of year was a black woman my deputy head (laughs) was a black man my tutor was a black man the whole science department was like Nigerian women so like when people say they didn't have black teachers and stuff I'm like that's very strange to me so I want my kids to kind of go to that school because it gave me such confidence I remember like my you know my teachers I remember like my teacher I still keep in touch with I remember one of them was like you know you are an amazing black girl who when you grow up the people that ignored you are going to be looking at you and being like I wish I shot my shot like shot my whatever they say on Twitter with her because (laughs) she's going to be so amazing you're intelligent and like I can't even tell you how that confidence as a child is something I'm passing on to my daughter because obviously I didn't grow up with a black mum so like I had black maternal figures in school. So I'm so like, I must keep in inner city London to give my child the best chance of having so many black teachers growing up. And like, I'm like finding out that that's a novel novel experience. Like that doesn't exist. Like that was just like a really weird thing. Yeah. And the more I find that out, the more I find it hard to believe. Like me and my best friends were talking about it. And they was like, no, all teachers are black, no? And I was like, no, like, no, <laughs> no. No, yeah. like this is just like strange so yeah like it's it is that thing of like you know I don't think I'd ever move because I think it's important for kids to when they can have the opportunity to be surrounded by like children who reflect their experience and can mm. relate or have or at least have cultural empathy do you know what I mean like yeah you, you know like my child might not have a best friend that's Nigerian but like even having someone that comes from a diverse background or like a community where there's a lot of diversity will no doubt help her be a better person so yeah yeah it, it's an interesting one I don't think we'll be moving out of London um my, my husband said he he just can't like it's just a no like he's <laughs> just, just it's just a no he's like why like no yeah I, but even like with inland and like just various different places there's different kind of experiences I live in Croydon as you know far which is away far, from which everywhere is far. but my cousin so I live in a bit of Croydon which is very multicultural like mm. all the primary schools like when we were looking around the primary schools like loads of them have got black teachers black male teachers as well which I thought was really important for like my son to see black male figures in his family obviously but also outside of the family as yeah, well but then my cousins also live in the borough of Croydon but if you go to their bit of Croydon it's like completely different like very white they've had unfortunately they've had like racist experiences at school and like in their neighborhood and stuff so even like within London just where you live people will say that Croydon's not London that's not the debate that we're having right now <laughs> but <laughs> okay you told me I won't debate you on it yeah so even like within the metropolitan area just one little shift this way or shift that way and your whole experience will change it's very true and also like I live in East London so borough of Newham and like it's completely changed since the Olympics like you know Mm. there's a social cleansing that's going on and slowly I'm starting to see you know this is a borough that was majority like Asian and black and still is but you know I've lived in this borough I was born in the the hospital in this borough I've lived Mm. in this borough my whole life like I made my husband move here I was like I'm not (laughs) leaving Newham I love it here I love the fact that you know I have easy access to everything you know it's so culturally like me and I, I'm slowly seeing that, like, it's becoming whiter and whiter. Nothing made me realise that more so than when I was pregnant. I decided to go to Pilates, pregnancy Pilates. I did it in Forest Gate. And that's like predominantly been Asian and Black as well. And I was walking past the houses and I didn't even recognise it. And, like, even all the kids, like, I was walking past, a lot of them were white. And I was like you know, like white families and I, I was the only black, I can't believe I did a class like that in Forest Gate and I was the only black woman in the class. It mm. was it was so strange. And I was saying that like, it kind of felt like I wasn't in Newham. So even like 
like what you say, like in this borough, like we're trying to make a decision, like, because we kind of want to stay in this borough. Where we move to, it, it really can be the difference between our child seeing themselves regularly on a day-to-day basis or not. Um, and that's a massive consideration. And I think kids are like sponges, like what they take in at this age, they're never going to be able to get rid of. So, you know, for us, we're really trying to, I guess, do our due diligence in finding areas that are, are multicultural. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Gosh, all these decisions, it's always so... So grown up. So grown up. And like you said, like, privilege is just accepting that things are going to work out for you for your good and when you don't have that privilege everything's like a double triple think as yep. to looking at it from every single angle like is it worth trading off this for this do we want to prioritize this over this so it's not easy it's not easy even I guess it I always think it's the best time to be a black woman in the UK right now but it's still not easy there's still yeah. so much that's true that's very very so true much. we should put that on um, a quote card <laughs> <laughs> I know, start my influencer game. Okay, so what is something that has helped you thrive through like the difficult parts of motherhood so far? I'm going to say black moms have definitely helped me survive this experience. And because sometimes you just need to talk to another mum that gets it. I've been on the verge of tears when I felt like I've worked too much. I felt bad when like I'm like oh my god I'm not ready with her today and people have been like she's she's two months chill like she don't need you to read her um you know when my daughter had this thing where she wouldn't sleep by herself and I thought maybe I'm I'm not doing things right or like you know breastfeeding was really hard and black mums you know have been amazing as I said like the person I consider my big sister she has been she has helped me through this process, held my hand, guided me. She's got two boys of her own and she's she just picks up the phone and like when I've like needed to cry it out or talk about things, she's listened. B Tajadine, who I know on the podcast, has been an amazing mum. I literally had an hour conversation with her last night on the phone, you know, about balancing like work that you love with, you know, having a baby or on her, you know, she's her her daughter's not a baby, but just speaking to her it's made me feel less guilty about working and and it's okay Mm. and it's okay if things don't work out in the world of work even seeing you juggle the boys in our meeting is just like oh my god you know what it's not easy but it's possible it's not easy but it's possible so just being surrounded by black mums talking to black mums I think I even messaged you like what do you use on the boy's skin like just being able to like just and like you know another friend of mine you know tossing I'm like what what do you use on your baby's hair just you know just having black mums that I can just WhatsApp, text, or just pick up the phone to has helped me survive motherhood. But what has helped me me thrive has been this podcast called How I Built This by Sky Raz. And it's, it's a podcast that has entrepreneurs who have built amazing businesses and their journey, their struggle, their story. And, you know, listening to the women that are on those podcasts, many of them are juggling families. And, you know, they talk about it. I, I was listening to a podcast. He interviewed Jo Malone and listening to her podcast was so inspiring. Very reflective of my own journey because her business partner was her husband and they had a kid. And just talking about the struggles that she went through to build like this multi-million pound business that everybody knows has given me a fire of like, I want to build my business and it's possible to do it with a family. It's not easy. But that has helped me thrive in motherhood of like striving for what I want and what I want my life to be. No, definitely. I hear that. So my final question, my final question is what just gives you pure joy about being a mum? Oh, that's so easy. What gives me pure joy about being a mum is just seeing my daughter smile. Like all babies, or she's kind of going into teething, but that dummy smile. Sleep train has been going really, really well. But me and my husband made a rookie mistake last night. We let her sleep till nine o'clock and didn't wake her up. So mm. at three in the morning, my girl thought <laughs> it was playtime. And I was so tired. And but I could see in the dark that she was smiling and she was so happy. <laughs> and like she was so excited. And she just literally wanted to play. And like I was even so tempted to go and get her favorite toy to let her play. But I was just like. <laughs> 
you know what, yeah. My husband's not going to thank me for, for having this little butterfly that's rattling and making noise <laughs> in bed. But just seeing her smile, like, doing, like, like you know those things, I never thought I'd be that mum that does those stupid voices and, like, mm. choose her and, like, you know, I never thought I'd be doing, like, baby voices and be like, excuse me to her <laughs> and, like, making her smile. But it makes her smile so much. That gives me pure joy, just, like, seeing her smile and, and holding her. And I think she's been a great reminder of, like, what is very important in life and and that it's okay to be still because I'm always on the move I think you know you work with me so I'm always like Da-da! but she's really she's the first person in my life that has given me joy from just being in the moment and still and I think that's something that I feel in deep gratitude for her for that's it we made it to the end Thank you so much for listening to this first season of Black Ballad Presents The Survival Guide. A special shout out to all of those who have been listening from day one. And if you've rated and reviewed us in Apple Podcasts, we appreciate you so much. But if you haven't, please do so now. Share this podcast with your people. Let us know what you think on social media by tagging Black Ballad UK and using the hashtag BB Survival Guide. And if you're not yet a member of Black Ballad, you can get 50% off membership for 12 months using the code THRIVE. That's T-H-R-I-V-E. And I think that's everything. This series has been written and hosted by me, Jen Della Benson, and produced by Christina Moore of Don't Skip. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.